Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, we are back talking about Pentecost. Um, real quick, can you do that little word association game you're doing off the air? Sinclair Ferguson in his book, In Christ Alone, if you don't own that book, that would be one on my short list of, of some of my favorite books on Christian living. In a chapter where he deals with this chapter, Acts 2, and uh, the event of, that we call Pentecost, he goes through a word association and he says, you know, if you throw out different words, like if you would say Michael Jordan, you instantly something comes Golf. to your head. Or <laughs> wow, <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then he would say that if you throw out the word Pentecost, typically the first thing people think of is Holy Spirit, and. He says, if you really look at what's going on in Acts chapter 2, that's the wrong word association, mm-hmm. that really Pentecost is about Jesus Christ. And what you find is in Peter's sermon in Acts 2 at Pentecost, it is a Christ-saturated sermon. Right. It's Christ-centered. Uh, it's Peter is expository. He's explaining who Christ is and what he's come and accomplished. So the and Holy his Spirit... texts yeah. are Old Testament Te- passages. Yeah. Yeah. Old Testament passages that proclaim the Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost and fallen on these 120 that were in that upper room praying, you know, waiting for what Jesus had promised was coming. Now they're out at nine in the morning after this, after the Holy Spirit's been poured out on them, and what do they do? They begin talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. They begin to, uh, you know, it, so much so that people think these men are drunk. Yeah, no, they're just they're actually excited that they have a message to tell. Yeah. So picking up in verse twenty-two, this is partway in the message already. A sermon. He says, "Men of Israel, hear these words." Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Very quickly, that that really is what John is going to write in his gospel, that Jesus is attested by these signs. Mm -hmm. So in that way, if you want to know at least in part what Peter's talking about, go to the gospel of John, and John is going to lay out, how do you know that Jesus is the Christ? All of these signs point to it. That's right. This Jesus, verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Real quick here, I mean, this idea of foreknowledge here, God is not looking down through the quarters of time and predicting and reacting to what's going to happen. That That is not at all what what 
Peter's Peter saying Peter's saying that that Jesus has always been the plan from before the foundation of the world. That's what Hebrews thirteen eight says: the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And I think that's important because people misuse that word foreknowledge and they actually demote God's glory. And it does say the definite plan and foreknowledge that God not simply knew about it ahead of time; it was determined that God had a plan that he was going to bring to fruition. Um, And it's just interesting to note, this is one of those passages that beautifully ties together God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Mm -hmm. God is the the sovereign one, governing things according to his definite plan, yet he uses sinful man to accomplish those purposes, and man is still guilty for what they did. That's right. They're Mm -hmm. responsible agents, but working under the, the plan sovereignty of God. And then and then Peter immediately says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, now he's quoting another Old Testament text. So this is now Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness in your presence. And so what Peter's doing here is he's quoting David, saying these words in Psalm 16, and then he's going to flip it, and he's saying, but David really wasn't talking about David ultimately. Mm -hmm. Somebody want to continue from there? Yes, because he's going to say, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's a quote from Psalm 110. And so what what Peter is doing is he's he's showing people who Jesus Christ is, his person, his work, and he's he's really taking a page out of Jesus's playbook. Yeah. At the end of Luke 24, yeah. Jesus is saying, "Wait, you need to understand that these things that have happened to me, what I suffered, that I died, that I rose, all of that was talked about in the Old Testament." And then Jesus goes through all of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms um, speaking about the things concerning himself. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Peter was paying attention. Yeah, and, and um, Paul does the same thing. I mean, throughout the book of Acts, he goes and reasons in the synagogues with them, uh, with the scriptures about Jesus. What scriptures does he have? Only the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is so key. I think so many of us, even as evangelicals today, we, we see that the Old Testament, we just kind of have a suspicion about it that it's not relevant at all to us, and so let's just stay in the new. No, the Old Testament also, its main object is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we just sometimes have the wrong glasses on when we're reading the text. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 
36. 36. It says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that that's an old age issue. I couldn't read the number in my Bible. (laughs) Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it's interesting there that you have the three names of Christ there, Jesus, Mm -hmm. Lord, and Christ all together. And what he's saying is that this Jesus, the, the man that you knew that used to live on earth, he is the promised one, the, the Messiah, the, the Christ, and now he is fully exalted at the right hand of God, sitting on the right hand of majesty, is what Hebrews would say, as the one, Psalm 10, that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So yeah. he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and verse 36 is really a summary of his whole sermon thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's making it easy for them. Mm-hmm. To, it's the sermon in a sentence, essentially. Yep. yep. Yeah. And, and, it, and we're told right after that that those that heard this were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the response where they say, brothers, what shall we do? Why, why does this cut them to the heart? Well, remember earlier in the sermon, Peter says, oh, and by the way, this Jesus Christ who is the Lord, that's the one you crucified. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden this is penetrating. They're saying, what did we do? Can you imagine the guilt on these people? I mean, this was the Messiah that they're waiting for their whole lives, 2,000 years of promises, and then the, the arrow goes right into their heart. That's the, the one that you were waiting for? You killed him. As it should our own heart. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that old uh, spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? You know, I mean, yeah, I was there. I was the one who sins he bore. Yeah. So uh, in that sense, they, they may not have been an active participant in, the, in saying crucify him, crucify him. But in the context of what Peter's saying, they know that their sins have put him on that tree. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Just like ours have. Yes. Just like ours. And the response of Peter is not, there's no hope for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, sorry, you can't do something as, as awful of, as crucifying Christ and have any hope. What, what he says is, oh, what should you do? Basically, believe the gospel. Yeah, This is such a hopeful text. I've been talking to this guy from, from England off and on for, for three months now. He called me. Uh, and he has done some some pretty terrible things, and he thinks he's beyond the pale of salvation. Hmm. And the the way that you just summarize this passage, I mean, what what sins could any of us be guilty of that are worse than this one sin that we're all guilty of, namely of crucifying the the Lord of Glory? And and I'm trying to. Trying to tell him that this is well, the message of the gospel. I wonder if there is a worse sin in being in the inner circle of Christ and knowing who he is and listening to him for three years and being one of his confidants and then betraying him. Mm-hmm. So that the actually the preacher giving the text might be more guilty than the ones hearing yeah. the, the text. Yeah. Which is just an, another amazing aspect of grace. Yes. 
that what you find here is the gospel reaches down into the, the ugliness of life and says, what do you need? You need exactly what Jesus Christ came to give, mm-hmm. forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. He came to give you new life that you don't have in yourself. Yeah. And that life comes because of his perfect work on your behalf and the fact that God raised him from the dead. Yeah. And that he's willing to give the spirit to regenerate you and, and to draw you unto himself and then enable you to live out a life that's now pleasing in his sight. And, and he well, gives that gift not based on works. He gives that gift based on simply holding out your, your spiritual hands, so to speak, and receiving him the way that he has promised us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, J- Jesus, before his death, had prophesied this very event. He's, he says that he, he talks about sending the spirit. And when the spirit comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, so uh, this is what is taking place on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come, and he and this is a fulfillment of the very thing that uh, Jesus said he was going to do. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and here are men under conviction saying, "What must I do?" He's been they've been convicted of the sin and righteousness and judgment. They are mm. under the judgment of God. They're repenting. Mm. I mentioned Sinclair Ferguson's book, In Christ Alone, and, and in that book he also takes that text from John and says that the primary application of that text is actually Pentecost, mm. that that's, that is really the ultimate fulfillment of what Jesus is proclaiming. I'm glad I'm in good company there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're so glad that you could join us today. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, just go to whatever app that you use. Type in the Gospel for Life. Also, don't miss our Reformation Boise Conference this year. We are back in 2021, September 17th and 18th. Just go to ReformationBoise.com. You can register for free. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss it. We'll see you next time. 